0: Everyone, this is Ragu, and this is Ramdas here and now. And uh, this is a, a bit of an, another new program from Ramdas's Here and Now podcast series. Although we did do one, we've done a couple of these extemporaneous chats that I've had with Ramdas, and uh, he suggested he thought it was a lot of fun. But I was really happy to be able to spend the time with him. And he said, hey, why don't we do this every Sunday? And I'm like, I don't know about every Sunday, Ramdas, but but uh, let's try and do more of these. So we had this great chat where he was very, very, as he usually is, honest about where he's at, what's been going on, including what's been going on with his body. He said he's getting a little old. I said, yep, we know that. In fact, we all are. Uh, so uh, this is a, a wonderful talk, uh, chat with Ramdas around aging and dealing with suffering and pain. And then we went into uh, this uh, uh, little discussion around the Tibetan Book of the Dead, some commentary by John Woodruff that I had found. And uh, it's pretty interesting and Ram Das relates his own thoughts about it and what he uh, has been uh, connecting with in terms of the eventual transition that he and all of us are going to be going through. And then, uh, and we also talked about uh, the a uh, little bit about the, the so-called differences of Bhakti Yoga Path and the Path of non-duality or Buddhism and uh, and devotion, which was also uh, a wonderful thing. I had found this thing, which I actually did on a mind-rolling podcast with my buddy David Silver around Dilgo Kenshi Rinpoche and his uh, emotive reaction to his uh, meeting with the incarnation of his teacher. Um, so... I hope you enjoy it. And uh, and we will do more of these. Uh, and by the way, please, please, please continue your support. We really appreciate it. For the Be Here Now Network and, of course, Ramdas.org and what, uh, what Ramdas puts out there and all of the wonderful media we have from so many years. And uh, you can go to... Uh, particularly Be Here Now Network, because it's a new network. I mean, we're four and a half months into it, and we do need that support uh, for the network. A lot of people working on this, and, of course, Jack and Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and Krishna Das and Lama Surya Das and uh, myself and beautiful guest podcast. Oh, Danny Goldberg is there, of course, doing his uh, rock and rolls and Chris Grosso um so there's a lot of rich material, and we have this amazing new um, smartphone app, heart mind, one Word. please go and download it. It'd be great. So continue the support uh, as as much as you can, and we appreciate all of the feedback that we get, which really helps us to develop content that we hope would will help everyone. So here's my chat with Ramdas. Ramdas here and now
1: it's a beautiful day yeah and yeah. maharaji's present my body my body aches and pain. Mm. And as it gets painful, I notice my my identification with my body increases. Mm. I'm beginning to. beginning to I'm old yes I'm
0: how are you dealing yeah. how do you how do you deal with that when you're Start to identify more with your body when these pain when pain comes. How are you dealing with that
1: It's my mind. I witness the thoughts. And the, the, I love the pain, and I, uh, I surrender. All karma. Mm. Like now yeah. when
0: when you say uh when you do get pain and you're witnessing the pain, so that you're going deeper inside yourself to watch the play of this pain. So there is a view from another vantage point that's not caught in the mind, as you just said. And then you say, I love the pain. What exactly do you mean? Is there a way in which you're engaging with the pain uh, within a certain vibratory process inside yourself? Yeah.
1: Well, the witness is is part of the soul and the soul loves everything and witness i witness the pain but the pain My attention to my toes or it just pulls back my attention, mm. pulls back my attention, pulls back in my urinary system, pulls back and then i uh, and then I almost have no have no pain hmm. Yeah. Hmm. it's it's my attention
0: so by entering into the witness and entering into the center of spiritual heart, soul, however which way you want to call it that allows for the absorbing of the attention out of the source of pain, in which case your feet. In, in in which case you were talking about your feet as being a center of attention. I know that at night that's a difficult thing for you because of uh, the stroke that it's affected that part of your body. So that process allows for you to absorb the attention into this into the the perspective back that goes in back of the identification yep.
1: the perception mm.
0: yeah. yeah yeah i was I thought since we're all a little bit closer to the old transition process and I found this book that uh, I haven't looked at in quite some time and I had made some notes in it because it's the Tibetan Book of the Dead but it's uh, basically what I was uh, really inspired by was a foreword to it not the actual, it's just commentary on it do you remember Sir John Woodruff? I guess he was a... And he, yeah. Yeah. And he had some really... Uh, I thought I just... We could reflect on some of the things he's saying. I'm sure there's some stuff in here that you've been talking about. And partly, there's definitely things that uh, I know we've discussed before, you've talked about in, in, in your talks. Um, so uh, it these are just excerpts, and they're not in any uh, particular order. Uh, But uh, he's talking about what happens when a human uh, becomes aware that he is dead. Uh, As he carries over with him the recollection of his past life, he at first still thinks that he has such a physical body as he had before. So I guess people do think, you know, after they've died, they don't realize that that they have left that body. But what it is, he says, is in fact a dream body, the same as a person sees in their dreams. It's an imagined body, which is neither reflected in a mirror nor casts a shadow, and which can do such wonders as passing through mountains and the like, since imagination, with a capital I, is the greatest of magicians. Isn't that? I, I find that fascinating. Alongside, Wait, of, oh. it is an imagined body. Yeah,
1: I, I, I lost you. So imagination.
0: Yeah, so the person who dies, uh, still sees, feels that he has a body. And in fact, it's a dream body. It's the same kind of relationship with the body that you have when you have a dream and you see your body or you feel your body. And it, it's neither reflected in a mirror nor does it cast a shadow. And it can do wonders. Yeah. I get that. yeah. Imagination yeah. is the greatest of magicians, which also harks to what you talk about all the time about imagination in terms of the way that you relate with Maharaji. So this is more substantiation to the reality of that, the power of imagination. Um, Even in life on earth, a man may imagine that he has a limb where he has none. Long after a man's leg has been amputated above the knee, he can feel his toes or is convinced that the soles of his feet are tickling. In the after death state the deceased imagines that he has a physical body, though he has been severed therefrom by the high surgery of death. I love that line. The high surgery of death right so what a role imagination he, plays
1: He's, he's English.
0: Yeah, yes. And this is from, I think, you know, this has got to be written right in the earlier part of last century, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And then further, there's some interesting things here. Further, at length, the deceased passes out of the Bardo dream world into a womb of flesh and blood, issuing thence once more into the waking state of Earth experience. This is what in English is called reincarnation or rebirth in the flesh. The Sanskrit term is saṃsāra, that is, rising and rising again in the worlds of birth and death. Nothing is permanent. All is transitory. In life, the soul complex, that's what he calls, that's what he's referring to, as that which goes from one incarnation to another, a soul complex. Have you ever heard that term before? Yeah? No. It's, uh, in life, the soul complex is never for two consecutive moments the same, but is, like the body, in constant change. There is thus a series of successive, and in one sense, different states which are in themselves but momentary. There is still a unifying bond in that each momentary state is a present transformation representative of all those which are past, as it will be the generator of all future transformations potentially involved in it. This process is not interrupted by death. That's a... There's something there that really kind of helps explain how impermanence is not a scary thing, right? How the fact that if we are a soul complex that is constantly moving and shifting by virtue of the impermanence of life, but it's a unifying bond in that each momentary state is a transformation representative of all those which have passed. And so when the body dies, it's not interrupted by the death of the body. Somehow this made tremendous uh, sense to me. Change continues uh, in the skandhas, the constituents of the organism, other than the gross body, which has been cast off and which undergoes changes of its own. But there is this difference. The after-death change is merely the result of the action of accumulated past karma, and does not, as in earthly life, create new karmas for which a physical body is necessary. Isn't that interesting? A physical body, he's saying, is necessary for the creation of new karma. There is no breach of consciousness, but a continuity of transformation. That's like the central thing, which seems to me to be the most uh, reassuring about this as, as potential reality. I mean, we're trusting these people, that the Tibetans, right? The Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, the death consciousness is the starting point, followed by the other states of consciousness. Karma, at length, generates a fully formed desire or mental action. This last is followed by the consciousness taking up its abode in a suitable matrix, whence it is born again as a birth consciousness. What is so born is not altogether different from what has gone before, because it is the present transformation of it and has no other independent existence. So there's no breach of consciousness, but a continuity of transformation based on this soul complex, which is another word for what the Buddhists call Buddha mind, and what we call, we in the Bhakti tradition, or Hindu tradition, call soul.
1: Call soul.
0: There cannot be any difference, yeah. right? I mean, this is kind of gets the closest to explaining how there is no differences here. And then... Uh,
1: differences from what?
0: From the Buddhist concept of, of no soul, of Buddha mind is that which is the constituent that moves into the new incarnation, into incarnation after incarnation soul we 're saying, so this is getting close to an explanation to me of of the reality that supersedes both of the those uh concepts. there is no breach of consciousness a con- continuity of transformation anyhow, I really love that uh, that uh, explanation um and then um if the if the uh series of conscious states are determined by past karma it may be asked how that liberty of choice exists which the text assumes by its injunctions to the deceased to do this or to avoid that right when you they when you sit with a dying person you you know you're repeating all kinds of different prayers let go become one do this do that uh, you know, in the Tibetan Book of Living and, and Dying by Sogyal Rinpoche, of course, many people are using that uh, these days. Uh, I did it with, with my father and my mother and uh, and my friend who who died just a number of months ago. Um, no doubt, uh, so it injunctions to the deceased to do this or to avoid that. No doubt, even in one individual, there are diverse tendencies, but the question still remains... If the karma, ready to ripen, determines the action, then advice to the accused is useless. If the soul, quote-unquote, is free to choose, there is no determination by karma. Interesting. Here the answer appears to be twofold. Yeah. Apart from what is next stated, the instructions given may, by their suggestion, call up that one of several latent tendencies which tends toward the action counseled. Further, and this is the best part of the whole deal, this system allows that one soul, by the way, he's calling it soul. He's not calling it Buddha mind, Sir John. Uh, Mm -hmm. One soul can help another. So there are prayers for an application of merits to the deceased. Uh, just as we find in his Hinduism or in Catholicism the Requiem Mass and in Islam the Muslim Fatika, in this and other matters, one mind can can it is alleged influence another otherwise than through the ordinary sense channels, where before, whether before or after death. Wow, there is also a tendency to overlook. Collective karma and its effects. An individual is not only affected by his own karma, but that of the community to which he belongs. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, that made me think about who who we are together and, and the way in which we interact with each other will have some influence, perhaps. Our collective karma will have some influence on our individual karma. Does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah. But I've been calling that the soul pod.
0: Right, soul pod, right? The soul pod. Yeah. That's that, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's why yeah, there's uh, there's a few things in here that reminded me of some of the things that you have said and certainly this collective uh karmic effect would be that soul pod yeah um and um and i i also i like his thing about um the soul complex it's it seems it makes it more um subtle as to the reality because of the to me the reality of impermanence i mean that's obvious i mean we all experience that so With that reality, there is that constant change, so it allows for whatever that thing we want to call—we want to call it a soul—that goes through incarnations. You want to call the Buddhists call a Buddha mind or clear mind or whatever. Uh, There is that constant. It's it's uh, it's not immutable. It's mutable to change, obviously, and so that process. Then would lend itself to say it doesn't stop when the body leaves when the body goes, and that that uh, so anyhow I thought that that was uh, uh, somewhat reassuring. Are these thoughts that you've been uh, have you been working with this kind of stuff? And you're you just said you're you're old, eh? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. This is stuff that I, I'm doing with Mirabai.
0: You're right. For the That's book right. Dying. Right, right. Yeah, everybody. <clears throat> for everybody out there, Ram Dass and Mirabai Bush are working on a on a wonderful book on uh, the process. Uh, it's called. Um, well, it's not called anything yet. I don't think it has a title, but it's certainly around death, and it's around, uh, I love that, of course, from what I'd love, is uh, what Emmanuel said to you uh, a long time back, your your disembodied friend. Um, what is it? Death is, uh, um, God, I forgot it. What does he say?
1: Death is by taking off a tight shoe.
0: Right, right.
1: And then he said,
0: I know what he said. We're (laughs) going to get that. (laughs) I I know, I got it, Ramdas. I got it. That's because I got my computer in front of me. Dying... <sighs> <laughs> I'm cheating. Uh, dying is absolutely safe. Totally That's with, safe. Absolutely yeah. safe. And these passages from the, uh, the commentary by uh, Woodruff, um, they seem to lend that air about them of... Yeah. Uh, uh, of relaxing a little bit uh, on that but in your day-to-day life talk about that though in your in your day-to-day life i know you're dealing with um, aging and pain and uh, and so on and so forth um, and you're you know you're spending a good amount of time on your own and you open this whole c- conversation with uh, the fact that maharaji's presence is there what kind of work are you doing related to transition?
1: Everything is in Mar- is in Maharaji's hands. I got into the pain. is is palpable. And then I started to think about that's the ego. And I'm, I witness the ego. I am soul. And my karma yoga is my pains and aches, Mm. and I, as a as soul complex, I love them. I I love. I love them. Hmm. Uh,
0: yeah. What about in actual practice? Are uh, is there anything that you're doing? I guess in a meditative way. I mean, I'm only thinking about my myself and what I try to do day to day. At some point, through at, in my meditation, um, is to. Picture Maharaji in my mind's eye, inside, in my third eye, and just bring in his vibration, his uh, ineffable vibration, through either easily seeing him because all of the, the times that we were with him, it's, it's easy to bring him in that physical Thing and then that turns into the real Maharaji, and just absorb into that as a way of practicing. When that actual moment comes, to um, to transform potential fear. Is that something that makes sense to you, or do you do anything like that in terms of practice?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I look at a picture of, the, of his incarnation and I and I would go with the big Maharaja is as... The Lama said,
0: Surya does.
1: Yes, Surya. Then I stay in my imagination, Maharaji, and I meet in my imagination. And I converse with Maharaji, but there's not words. When I'm doing well with my karma yoga, he will stay is part of my karma yoga in karma yoga you deal with experiences in front of you Mm. as much as I'd like it Maharaji he doesn't he doesn't react that my that my my achievements
0: <laughs> He doesn't, doesn't.
1: <laughs> He's there constant love He brings me to another plane of consciousness in which I think it's the oneness. It's the The Atman. Yeah. That's what I will do in my meditation.
0: Mm. Lovely. Um, I wanted to share something else with you. When I uh, last saw you uh, a couple of months, a few months ago in August, uh, Das and I visited you. Visited you. Something came up, which uh, was about uh, he had been told that uh, there was he was proffering the idea not he but his people of an online course, and he had been told. Sorry, devotion. Scott, nobody's interested in that. You know. Yeah. Remember that non-duality that says the devotion that's
1: eh. that's, yeah
0: (laughs) so um and also further there was the whole idea of the death of the guru concept there's you know you are your own guru and you know you all of that so he sent me an article right Krishna And I actually did a podcast about this on Mind Rolling with David Silver recently. Um about crying. Uh time to cry or not to cry. It was written by a Tibetan uh, Rinpoche who was close to Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, the great uh, siddha of the last century. Yeah. yeah. So He told his story. He said, "Apparently, in Tibet, people don't cry. You're not allowed to cry, right? Because I guess it's such a harsh environment. If you, you can't let yourself go there. So even his grandma and stuff, you know, no. He's a kid. No, no crying, right? No, no expressing yourself that way. No moving into that kind of a thing. Now, um." What happened was, it turns out that this rinpoché who wrote this story, and think his is Zongzar Rinpoché, uh, he was the uh, incarnation tulku of a teacher of Dilgo Kensi Rinpoché, and so they were to the first time they were to meet. He was a young man, and he got in the car. And Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche apparently was like six foot ten or eleven. I mean he was a huge man, majestic, incredible man, human being. And he he got in the car with him, and because Dilgo Kensi could absolutely feel the presence of his teacher through this reincarnation, right? They were going from one place to a, to a temple, maybe half a day's ride in a car. He cried the whole way. Dilgo Khensey cried the whole entire way uh, <laughs> out of love for his teacher. So Krishnas, of course, yeah. is sending this this thing. The Buddhists they think that you know <laughs> there's no heart. And one of the greatest, you know, so this was the gist of the whole thing. And um, in fact, uh, one thing I found, I I just wanted to read you, this is so great. Somebody wrote, after they read this story, uh, a woman named Connie Moffat wrote, and this is just earlier this year, uh, she wrote, thank you so much for this story. Uh, And she was writing to the, Zongzai Rinpoche, who wrote the story. Uh, it reminded me of meeting Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche in New York in 81 or 82. Not exactly sure when. It was in a small interview room, not many people at all. He let people ask questions while he was reading a text, turning the pages. He would listen and answer, but never look up, reading the text while the translator explained what he had said. At any rate... I had had trouble getting to the interview because my excitement and the high energy of of it was overstimulating, and I wasn't paying attention and took the wrong subway. So when I thought I would miss the interview, I started to cry and cry and cry, and I couldn't stop, even when I got there. So I asked him, what is this? What's this crying? And he looked up at me with a huge, big smile and said, Th- that is known as devotion from the bottom of your heart. Such oh bliss standing in the glow of that smile. That belies, and I know, and you and I have talked, and and, and you know, this is uh, our video podcast that we're going to put out there, and everybody's going to hear and watch, but, uh, you know, we'll tell the truth. You and I have talked at times about Buddhism and the, um, uh, you, you've you talked about people easily getting stuck. Wait a minute. Yes. Can you hear me?
1: I, I've missed. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. you
0: You and I have talked about Buddhism and you... I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit, but no, you have said the preciousness and the clarity of Buddhist thought entraps people when they don't engage their heart. Am I, okay? Not exact words, but you have said that, right? And we've gone back and forth and talked about the idea of people getting trapped in their minds uh, related to non-duality and and so on, and and especially with Buddhist thought because it is so powerful, uh, and 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 uh, subtle in, in its concepts, and so on. And so everybody, you know. And so all the Bhakti people think the Buddhists have no heart at all, and and this is why Krishnadas sent this to me to show. Look at this great one of the greatest beings, of of the uh, in the last hundred years. Rinpoche's. Look at him. And able to completely um, show his emotion and say this thing to this, to this woman. These tears are devotion from the bottom of your heart. Doesn't that belie every, everything that. Sure. <laughs> I just thought it was sure. so, so beautiful. I just wanted to share it with you. I love him and uh, my God.
1: Uh, uh, there's an article on my desk on love it's an interview with His Holiness the Dalai Lama I, I should have read it for this interview. I think now I so may, meet meet Buddhists that have such a wonderful heart. Mm-hmm they don't have a concept they mask it with their other, other concepts compassion for example yeah they, they, they you know,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And most especially uh, the friends we have so many, don't we, from the Buddhist community that we've been close to for Uh, decades—Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield—to name uh, but a few. Of course, your your real close friend, Roshi Halifax, who's who (laughs) can be a a tough teacher i mean she's been a tough, tough teacher cooking. yeah she's been so for me and yet has this tremendous love and it's all based around that and, and caring and so on it's 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 pretty uh pretty amazing i mean pretty fortunate and not to mention and we've said this many times before Maharaji certainly opened up doors for us to take buddhist teachings there's no doubt about it from vipassana to to the tibetans the epitome of it, of course, is Lama Das, who has Maharaji and Kenshi Rinpoche and Karmapa as, as uh, three of his primary teachers, gurus. So, um, yeah, so uh, I was really glad uh, Krishna sent me this article, and uh, I thought it was just a beautiful thing from Kenshi Rinpoche. Uh, you know, that's the reality underlying everything.
1: I like it. I like it. Yeah. Devotion You and I are Bhakti Yogi. That's where where the heart and the soul we we hang out with them. We hang out. It all feels it's all oh, gurukripa cripple. Guru which means the grace of grace of the Guru. And then we sing the names of God and malas, so on. That bows to to oneness. The only thing is that our to go there makes us our uh, yoga. It's us and guru. And us or God. That's dualism. So we go the dualist path. Get to the one. Mm-hmm. We all get. We all. We all go to the pl- same place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: As our mentor, Dada used to say, whenever we'd go, Dada Mukherjee, whenever we'd go to his house, Ram Ram. Every sentence ended with Ram Ram. Ram Ram. Ram Ram. Ram. Yeah, lovely. So nice to hang out with you. Thank you for the time. This isn't an interview, though. It's not an interview. This is a, a hangout. Hanging out. That's our Sunday hangout. I'm going to call it our Sunday hangout.
1: That's right. Right. Interview. Uh, It's it's much more satisfying. Yeah,
0: I interviewed you in long time ago when I first met you and brought you to a radio my radio station. Then I interviewed you. All that time in Montreal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but we've graduated to hang out after all these years,
1: yeah I think we have i think we have
0: yeah <laughs>
1: we have. Uh, we're, we're hanging out with maharaji,
0: yeah, hanging out with maharaji, yeah, well, love you, thank you again for for sharing some space and time. I love you. (laughs) You too. I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what? But
0: (laughs) what are you sorry about?
1: I'm sorry for halting. Oh uh, my!
0: Nobody cares about that. My aphasia. Aphasia. Yeah. No. As you said when you first came, were able to speak after you got the stroke, and you started talking again, and even publicly, and you said, Boy, one thing now is this allows for space, spaciousness. And it does. So by the end of this hangout, which is, you know, just about an hour. The space that's created by this is yeah. fierce grace. <laughs> 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 there we go. <laughs> uh, okay.
1: Rago, Rago, you are uh, a devotee of Maharaj. And, and I think I think of you as a friend. Hmm. Thank you. And, and I love you.
0: And I love you. Ram, 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 Ram. Till next time. This is Ramdas here and now. This is your podcast. Our podcast that we've been doing. We're over a hundred now. So see you next time on the Be Here Now Network. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>